1: It's a very simple lesson. And i learned it. Good. (laughs) And I
0: shared it with the rest of my writers
1: group. Good. (laughs) There you go. God, Coke Black was just a horrible thing unleashed on an unsuspecting world.
0: What the hell is the point of Coke Zero? What is that?
1: Um, Coke Zero is, it's Diet Coke made with half Splenda, so that it tastes more like real Coke rather than tasting like Diet Coke.
0: Okay, I, I mean, I, I think all cola tastes like Drano. It's that super taster thing. But it, it just, it's kind of like, who, who was the stand-up comic who did the thing about Tab? Why does it have one calorie? Why doesn't it have zero calories? What's the point of having something with one calorie? Yeah.
1: I just appreciate diet soda because I did the oh, I I love did diet soda. at one point. I, I love
0: drink, diet soda. I pickle in it. Yeah. I just don't drink colas. That's the next thing. I
1: sat down and calculated how many calories I was taking in, in soda <laughs> for a week, and then I switched to diet the next week because I yeah. was drinking a turkey.
0: Oh yeah, basically, <laughs> pretty much. No, I'm, I'm I'm nonstop with diet soda, but I'm I'm a lemon lime orange root beer woman. Okay, you know,
1: I <laughs> bet Terry would like. To,
0: he's he's Terry. D- yeah, he's diet coke.
1: That, I bet I Terry would like to talk things. about science. Three things. Rather than soda. Well,
0: there's the the deal about the deal about diet coke is that apparently it is good for diabetics, and this is something I have heard from a couple of doctors. Um, it has the caffeine. It has the you know. It, it does the 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 vein expansion thing and it actually helps regulate so i said my friend ross Cavney, who's a writer uh in london and she's like me she's in her 50s and she's the only woman i know who has better stories than i do she was at oxford with bill clinton i mean she has some stories but yeah she's great but um she's uh was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and she had, was you know they, they she had given up coffee. She just assumed that caffeine was bad for her, diabetes. And her doctor said, No, no, that's ridiculous. Caffeine's brilliant for you. Just don't overdo it. You know, make it, make it, make it your servant, not your master. But yeah. You know. And she said, Well, does it have to be coffee? And he said, No. no, no. Do diet Coca-Cola. And she went, Brilliant. It's yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, it's the Neil Game in touch. Brilliant. It is give me that. But yeah, and uh, in talking to my doctor about it, because uh, we have diabetics in the family. And they all. The, my doctor said, <coughs> "Yeah, diet coke is great for diabetics. You know, I mean, watch how much you intake. The same way you would watch with anything. Don't go berserk over it. But it's actually good for you with type two diabetes." <laughs> okay, that's like saying, you know, that's like saying broken is just my friend Teresa over here But say yeah, Broken cookies have zero calories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Snap. Hey, <laughs> I can eat. I can eat the. I can eat the farm. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> as we look at each other, I'm looking at our <laughs> moderator. <laughs>
2: Terry? Cool. Well, I was going to um, add something about my Chevy, but I'm enjoined from calling it a Chevy these days. Did you drive it to the levee? I have to call it a Chevrolet. Was it um. dry?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> they did. Yes. I know. Why I, wasn't it? I think Chevy Chase has changed his name, as you know. Um... <laughs> um well, I mean, I don't have anything to add. I, I have two raconteurs here who <laughs> can... No, <laughs> no, no, you don't.
0: The, the, you have two raconteuses. We are female. Oh. You would be a raconteur. Oh, we okay. are raconteuses. Right, okay. okay. Um, no, that's I don't raconteurs. speak French. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bit. I'm not sure
2: it's French. But anyway... It's um, French. <laughs> That was an interesting reading i'm not going to play the professor here i would say that uh it was interesting to me to see the way that writers use voice to set a tone rather than uh you can use anything to set a tone you use a setting or the characters or whatever but i think in all three of these the the pr- the tone was set by voice which was very different uh or, and very interesting but uh, I, I would open this to up to a Q&A from the audience because I think people have read a lot of the uh, books of these two writers. But I would ask, uh, the only thing I would begin by asking is, how come you write f- with two names?
1: So do you remember when Disney opened Touchstone? Nope. Yep. In the, um, was it 80s or 90s? I think 80s. In the 80s, 80s, Disney opened another production company that they called Touchstone Pictures. And they did that specifically so that they could release R-rated movies Coming from the same studio but with a different name on them, okay. and that way, if you were looking for a movie to take the kids to, and you're like, "Well, okay, Disney makes movies that are suitable for my kids," you didn't see a poster that said "Pulp Fiction, new from Disney," and think, "Hey, let's go there." <laughs> uh, so Touchstone was basically a way of, of just setting the expectation right up. So what front.
2: what was ta- what did they totally do in different. Touchstone? What were the movies they did? Pretty Woman.
1: Death? Pretty Woman.
0: I think it was their f- one of their first ones. One Julia, their first. Julia Roberts told that story when she got the part and, and she oh. called her mother and her mother said, well, what's this? She said, Mom, I got a job. And she said, well, it, what is it? And she said, mm-hmm, I'm playing around. It's a Disney picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like um, and so it's, it's kind of that. The Toby Day books are, they're urban fantasy, they're noir. I mean, they're, They're kind of brutal at times. I put Toby through her paces. But at the end of the day, if you had a savvy 15-year-old that was reading in genre and said, would you recommend your books to my teenager, I'd be like, yes, sure. There is nothing in here that they have not encountered already on basic cable every single night. So that's Shanine. That's Shannon. yes. I would not hand feed to anyone under the age of 18 without their parent having read it first. Not because I don't think it's an appropriate book. Um, that's your judgment, not mine, but because it's a much darker book, it's a much more brutal book, and I don't want people judging the two on basis of the other.
2: Now, Feed is uh, more or less hard SF, and yeah, it's not much, a series, right? It,
1: it's a trilogy. Oh, it is. It is. It's oh, yeah. a trilogy. Um, and I have already received email on both sides because it is a very open pseudonym. I've received a letter from somebody who was pissed off because they bought Feed, and then there were no fairies in it. And I have received a letter from someone who was pissed off because they bought Rosemary and Rue, and then it was an urban fantasy rather than being hard science fiction.
2: Even though you had the exactly the the, the
1: different names, and for the most part, it's worked. For the most part, people have been able to reset their expectations, but that's why we did it.
2: Well, we, who's we? Your publisher or your my agent? Pu- my
1: publisher, my agent, and I. We, we, we went to the publisher saying we were willing to do a pseudonym and, in fact, would be happy to do a pseudonym. And, and the publisher said, yes, pseudonym, good. So, okay.
0: yeah, sometimes, I mean, it, you get a classic. I, I write more mystery than I write anything else just because the book seem to want to come out that way most of the time. But... um, one of the classic absolutely classic examples of that that dual name for a, uh, uh, even a subtle difference in the kind or the the the, the timbre of the bu- of the, bu- the book's voice is Ruth Rendell who's one of the great mystery writers out there right. and writing as Barbara Vine I mean you're reading you pick up a Ruth Rendell and they can be they can be really they can be talk about brutal a judgment in stone is is one of the the single darkest books i have ever read uh she wrote that as Ruth Rendell and it's it's mostly i mean she does series <coughs> she has her you know um, but it's uh, writing as Barbara Vine. She wrote a dark adapted eye and um, a couple of others that are, for one thing, her her writing as Ruth Rendell. You know what you're getting. She's been writing for forty years, and they're all brilliant. But her Ruth Rendell novels mostly tend to be yay thick. When she's writing as Barbara Vine, she takes it she takes it out there. She takes it to the limit, and limit, and they are one one of the only collections of books. Her she's one of the only authors I've ever read where I can look at one of hers that thick and go. Damn, it's tight. I mean, she doesn't waste a word. It's all story. She couldn't do that as Ruth Rendell because they're expecting, you know, it was it the Inspector Wexford, I guess, um, mm-hmm. which are a very specific voice and a but, very distinct voice. And it's but it's, very not slightly a different. Har-
2: it's not a different genre. Or not a
0: different genre, but a different way of looking at her story. And if you were reaching for an inspector, you know, Inspector Wexford and wanting to know what was going on with his actor daughter, Sheila, and what was going on with his, you know, his his assistant, Michael, and you pick this up and you got this incredibly dense, dark book with in- all these twists and turns, it's that she as a writer looks at it slightly differently and the voice comes out slightly different. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is where that, I mean, and she, it is a very open pseudonym. I mean, you look at, the, you look at the cover and you'll say, Barbara Vine, you know, Ruth Randall writing as Barbara Vine. You know, her her fans love both, but they are they are marketed and they are they are covered and the whole nine yards. It's it's a subtle difference, but it's different.
2: Now does it help you in terms of voice if you think, oh now, um
1: No, no, not really. Um You don't think of it that way. I tell people I look at the different stuff I'm working on and almost like channel surfing in my brain. And what's showing on sci-fi right now is not really at risk of bleeding over into what's showing on MTV. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. I, do, yep. I do tend to write a lot of first-person protagonists. They do tend to have very, very firm perspectives on things. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's just a thing. And Toby and Georgia do not sound like the same person. So I don't really have that issue when I'm working on... As, as Mira when I'm, worki- I'm working on a specific set of books. Right. Now, what'll be interesting is if, these, if this trilogy does well and Orbit wants me to do more as Mira, I don't currently have anything else as Mira, so then I'll either have to, to sit down and go, well, what does Mira want to write next? Or I'll have to figure out a way to repurpose a Shonen project and, you know, I'll just, I don't know, add landmines. <laughs> 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 Upon a star plus landmines equals Mira Grant. Oh there you go. <laughs>
2: But you you never felt the need to do that, even writing for
0: YA. I I don't know I don't um, I I'm a I I start from character every time. Mine is mine is all about the individual. the The, the voice is determined by the character. Um, I don't do plots. I I do journeys. I do the character. It's it's, it's all about the people, and it's like I wanted. So J.P. Kincaid is very vivid in my head. I knew his name. I knew the fact that he spelled it with two K's. I knew that it stood for John Peter. I could see, you know. And yeah, there's a lot of my old friends in these books, but uh, a couple of old enemies. Getting to bump one off in the book that I'm writing at the moment, <laughs> Kincaid Seven. I get to bump off Jeff Beck. Such fun well, under a different name, but but the the voice determines the voice. The character determines the voice, and the voice determines the path of the story, and and that's where I go with it.
2: Well, there's other. I mean, Stephen King did it. Uh, just because there was too many Stephen King novels out, right? Yep. I mean, that's what I had.
0: That's that's kind of also and a factor. Yeah, and they're all freaking boat anchors. And I was, Jesus I was excess talking baggage. With a, an
2: old friend who's a, a professional just recently who had to change her name because her numbers weren't good. Right. You know? yeah. So you change mm-hmm. your name and pretend like you're a you're a new person. A new yeah. person on the
0: you know, Yeah, that's why I write
2: as Terry Bisson and Paolo Bacigalupi.
1: Both. You know, because, uh, there you go. Yeah. Nice and
0: different. There you go. <laughs> you know, so
1: that's yeah.
2: it's, it's a commercial reason. Yeah,
0: yeah. commercial reasons.
1: I have three books coming out a year for the next three years. So being two people is the only way I don't compete yeah. with myself.
4: Yep,
0: exactly. Um, it, but the thing is, mine are all minor a continuation of, of in in the genre. I mean, dark is the. Um, is the exception I mean this was this was and for children's, I mean for a YA I mean I actually asked my agent and said Kate do you want me to to do this under a pseudonym because doing dark under a pseudonym I have no problem with I wanted my name on the Kincaids for serious reasons they were an attempt to get back a big chunk of my own history and you know what's the point of hiding from your own history if you're trying to get back your own history but I had asked her and said you know do you want to do that under under a suit and she said why I said whatever I don't care either way you know, and uh, Egmont didn't seem to care either, so...
1: I'm looking at maybe needing another suit at, at some point because we'll probably wind up doing my YA stuff under a third name just to, again, prevent people going, you know, Mommy, Mommy, I love the new... I love Mira Grant. Let's go look at her. else she's done? Ooh, feed! Come on.
3: <laughs>
1: I wonder, do people do,
2: do this out of genre? I mean, is this something that only we have to think It's
1: about? extremely common in mystery. Yeah, very, um, very well, common in mystery. Genre, that's well, that's genre, that's yeah. genre. I don't know so much about literary. I know that Meg Cabot, who did the Princess Diaries, at one point was writing under three different variations of her own name to distinguish herself from herself, and they didn't start publishing everything as Meg Cabot until she had hit the New York Times list like five times.
0: Madeline? (laughs)
1: Yeah. You had a...
5: I've seen King in the YA, I've seen him in the adult section, yeah. I've seen uh, Garth Nix get put in both places, he gets transferred to his children's stuff, like the 7th Tower gets put in the YA. There's so much crossover that I saw in this game. In my experience, only the genre. They weren't putting Jane Eyre accidentally in the children's section, although I wouldn't say that the tone is so right. far-fetched from Tolkien, but, but I've seen Jane Eyre.
4: There are a lot of libraries I've been to where they put the class- classic literature. Louder yeah in the, the kids area because of course only kids are going to have to read this stuff um, oh,
0: right. oh god well i had i back i had i had four books published bang 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 between 1988 and 1992 and one of them was a fantasy novel that's got a little cult cult following called plain song and i kept finding it in the children's section at Barnes & Noble and back in those days in Brentano's, and it would be like, "Um, no, because I really don't want fundamentalist Christian mommies coming after me with meat axes, okay? This is about the death of the Trinity. Can we please get this out of the children's (laughs) section? Just because it has smiling animals in it doesn't mean it's a kid's book, you know?
2: But what Sean Ann was saying these days, you want? I, I I just came back from Wiscon, a big science fiction convention. We were and, at
0: Baycon while you were there. And
2: yeah. a lot of my colleagues are writing YA now because that's where the money, money is. is. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a so mystery is doing it right right too, Terry. To get it in the children's section, which is a – that's a new thing, right? You've noticed that, right?
0: Yeah, that's just that. That's this. Yeah, let's 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 not let's not even get into the you know, on the bestseller only model and the YA crossover. So now we now have was it John Grisham? You know, yeah. Oliver Perry, Kid Detective, and they're printing it's a first run of a million hardback copies on a five million dollar advance. Grisham
2: is doing away. Oh yeah, yeah and
0: Elizabeth yeah. George and maybe oh yeah, every, that's where the money is.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: totally So, you know, that 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 particular market is about to be swallowed up into the mainstream publishing bestseller only mode and that will James be gone. Patterson, Patterson, Patterson is, is doing, thing. "Uh-huh." Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I just read his yeah. I Ma- mainstream publishing there are there are no it was, doors left open. Yeah, it was totally gone. Different than, I know. Cuz I've read just
4: about everything he's written until it got to the point where it was it was so predictable and so you just knew what was going to happen before it happened because it's all the same story. Mm-hmm. And, and well, that's King Tut is like, it was almost like reading a, a young adult book. It was not. It was so totally different than anything else he's written.
1: Well, you I know the, the Maximum Ride books are YA, you know. Right. Okay.
4: Right. Yeah, them and, and that King Tut one, too. It was, I mean, it was good, but it was, it was, a, it was more of a... I felt it was more for young people than, than So adult. what's the
2: difference? What makes it for young people? How? What? What differs? What makes a, like, Dark's Tale, for example? Now you read that thing. I was uh, the the thing about the cat and the owl. Yeah. Um, I, I know you said it was a way. I didn't think it was a way. I thought of, of it as a, a. Um, Almost a novel of manners. It was like this cat was discussing the manners of the... Well, it happened in one particular excerpt,
0: yeah.
1: Was Watership Down Y.A.? No. No. It's animals. Yeah. Well, was the talisman Y.A.? even though it has a 10-year-old protagonist. Right now, I think that King would have a real problem selling the talent. Well, he's well, king. Oh, talk, talk about so. The
0: Shining, if you want a little kid, right. little kid so protagonist. He's, he's king, know? so
1: he's kind of exempt, but if it were someone else writing it, I think they'd have real issues with the talisman yeah. now, because anything with a child protagonist, they're trying to shove into being YA. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Really not. You what know?
1: I understand from, from my experiences in, in the pitching process, and from talking to a couple friends that are doing mainstream YA, it is a certain degree of complexity of language. You're not expected to dumb it down, but you are expected to try and minimize the words that not everyone knows. Um, a certain allowance for swearing. It's kind of like clerks almost got an NC-17 because they said fuck too many times. You can't say that at all. There you can't words say that can't at all, all in the
0: 10 in, to 13-year-old In the 10 to 13, year in the 10 to
1: 13 you can have a certain allowance of lesser swear words. but Damn the, and crap. Damn and crap. Crap and but, hell. But, but the other ones are off the table. You can't have actual shown sex. Um, off-screen sex is really only gonna be permissible if you're doing dystopian YA or if you are a New York Times bestseller. Like Meg Cabot was again able to get away with it, but not until she was on I think her eighth YA novel. Um, death has to be very much cleaned up. Think Harry Potter levels of death. It's It's gotta be more arable on the CW at the end of the day. What's the CW? Oh. Uh, It's a a basic cable network that does a lot of teen dramas, and you also run into things like when I was doing the, the talking with your agent part about what are you willing to give up if the publisher wants you to take this out. Uh, one of the books that we're working on pitching is called Lycanthropy and Other Personal Issues. And it's about teenage nice. wear creatures. It's yes. a lot of fun. Um, and my protagonist is a wear coyote who didn't know until she was very old that she was gonna be. And initially, in the book right now, she figures this out because one morning she wakes up, she's not wearing pajamas, she doesn't have any thumbs, and the cat is missing. Oh. <laughs> and I'm, I'm explaining, and my agent says, okay, All of your swearing is fine, and your level of of heavy petting is fine, and your level of teen angst is fine, and you're probably going to have to lose the reference to eating the cat. And I'm like, what? She says, no, really, that's not going to play in Peoria, and that would be fine in an adult novel. People would probably hate me, but it'd be fine. And in a YA, I'll probably have to lose it.
2: Actually, I did a story on Tor.com when they shot the cat, and everybody complained. Oh yeah, damn right, I complained too. Yeah, but you know this is interesting. Now this is I. You've got it. You've got a general sense. This is interesting, because mm. I knew all this was kind of happening, but I didn't realize it was codified to quite this extent.
1: Happy OCD girl likes to know the rules. Uh, yeah.
0: No. Okay. I'm gonna. you talking. I'm, I want to do. I want to do a quickie here, just because it's about three paragraphs. Also, <coughs> from dark. Dark has just climbed out of a dumpster after a very near thing with a very large dog. There were two figures in the pelting rain: a hunter and what it was killing. It wasn't the same coyote I'd seen before. I could tell that much. This one was smaller, concentrated. It seemed to have a lot more pale fur than the one I'd seen. They'd been right about there being more than one. The coyote had something in its jaws and under its paws. It really did look like a dog, the way it was built, the way it moved. It was actually a beautiful, sleek, the way dogs are when they're made streamlined and compact. And I thought, this is what Nightmare the dog would have looked like, ripping me apart if that police car hadn't come when it did. I watched the coyote, and it was... I know, she's concentrating and whatnot... I was concentrating hard on the coyote, and maybe that kept me from taking a closer look at its dinner. When I did, though, I stiffened up all over again. It was the bunker bunny, at least most of the bunker bunny. Rabbit fur doesn't look quite the same when it's wet. You kill a bunny? Uh-huh. Especially when there's blood streaking it. The coyote lifted its muzzle, keeping one paw on its dinner. It gave a little barking noise, very similar to what I'd seen the Red Father do the first time I'd seen him dancing. Two young coyotes came out of the bushes where they'd been waiting. Hardly more than pups, really. Babies. That scared me. They must have been there all the time, all three of them, the entire time the cores had been there. Nightmare the dog had sat there with the coyotes close enough for him to have caught with one jump and he hadn't even smelled them. And he's sitting there watching it and she says, I stayed in that tree, soaked to the skin, just watching as the coyote took the bunker bunny apart. She, the coyote was obviously female, the mother, reduced the bunny to a smear on the ground. She wasn't just killing and eating dinner, she was teaching her babies how to kill and eat for themselves. She showed them how to pull tufts of fur loose and throw them away. There was something, I don't know, tender about it. She was so careful to make sure they were getting it. She stripped the dead bunny clean, and then she and the pup settled down, growling and happy, and ripped the stripped naked rabbit apart into small pieces the way I might eat a gopher. That rabbit had been bigger than I was. So that's how you do death in a YA. And that's, I was worried that, that they were going to make me take that out. And but
2: that's legal. That's okay.
0: For, the, for that age group, I don't think that would sell for a six-year-old. What's you this know? for,
2: 42 this to 48?
0: Is <laughs> <laughs> this is what they call it. It's tricky. This is the tricky market. It's right, called the no tweeners. It's no. called the tweeners. It's a mid-grade for, for the 10 to 14-year-old. And so, it's so an, that's, that's the one that's selling the most these days. Yeah, that's an example, of that's okay. an example of okay, just okay. Yeah,
1: and it was only okay because all of her characters are animals.
0: Yeah, you couldn't okay. do it with humans. You I could would, not put that kind of death well, in. I'd would,
1: I would be willing to bet if your characters were all humans, you couldn't put the rabbit dying that way. No, exactly. Animal. Because you're not humanizing the coyote that much. Exactly. Elsa? The general rule of thumb for the YA and children's barrier,
2: as opposed to the adults, is number one, the age of your protagonist is the age of your target audience. Though. Say it a little louder so I'm we can sorry. hear the,
5: um, the general rule of thumb for, for children's lit versus sorry. YA lit versus adult lit is the age of your protagonist
3: is generally the age of your audience. All right.
5: Going to school for the first time, that can be a, a main theme of a novel. Going to college for the first time would be the you know, thing for an older kid, but a lot of time you see the difference between regardless of the age of the protagonist. Say you could have a sixteen-year-old being a protagonist of an adult novel, something aimed more at adults. So the thing you're gonna the issue you're gonna see
0: Well you, you so take you take you take the kid in the shining i mean he's 6 years old but it doesn't matter what's the only thing that matters about him being 6 years old is that he's vulnerable what matters is that he has this talent it's you know and that would it it's an entirely adult perspective even though it's a kid but it hardly touches on exactly like playing games and just doesn't do it yeah
1: he plays with the tropiary animals <laughs> no they play with him and they play back <laughs> they play
0: <I> back <laughs> Now.
2: So it's the age of the protagonist, but also the concerns of the... It's, right. it's notably,
6: I
3: know in Cat novel, um, The Girl Who and Fairyland in a Ship of Her
5: Own Making.
1: What is that? <laughs> great <laughs> name. Oh. The <laughs> Girl Who circumnavigated Navigated Fairyland in a Boat of Her Own Making. She just got
2: rescued the other day. She was in yeah. the <laughs> Indian Ocean. <laughs>
5: years old because there's a huge mental difference in an eleven year old versus a twelve year old Oh. officially going into teens, queens, mm-hmm. and yeah. you can start having things like there's the there's a hint of a relationship with a boy, just the beginnings of a spark of something yeah. of the protagonist. And
2: but for eleven that wouldn't work. Yeah. eleven that seemed a little young. But Interesting.
0: That's yeah. I'm I'm working on one at the moment for that age group called the Bowbreakers, Breakers, um, which is um, we have a and she's the the protagonist and this is twelve, and really really a different mindset. I mean, um, she's the 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 spark is there, but it's it's a it's, a, it's again it's a, it's a very odd book and it's a fantasy book and phrasing it for for that age group is going to be interesting because the brain wants to write it for adults but it's not. Um, basically, this is a child who has an unusual ability. Um, her dreams, she can actually walk through them. I mean, it's, it's you, you. Most uh, th- th- there's a school of psychology that says that the reason you don't remember your dreams completely is because you reach a point in REM sleep where you lose all touch with physical symbols of the everyday world. You have no reference point when you wake up. She keeps all of her reference points. Um, and she begins to discover that her particular dreamscape is inhabited by two species, um, the bow breakers and the orb weavers and that the bow breakers are genetically designed to cause nightmares, and that the orb weavers are genetically inclined to build webs underneath the cradles to keep them from falling. Um, and she has a brother she doesn't like, and when something very bad happens to the brother, she makes an interesting discovery that you don't have to love someone or even like them to build a web under the cradle. Um, so it, it seems like an appropriate... I had thought of it as a, as a much younger kid's book, and my agent said, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's right into the click over those concerns are more for an older kid. Yeah, it's so."
4: Like from, it's like going from boys have cooties to gee, he's cute.
0: Well, also going from— When did from, that happen, Mom? Yeah. From really. what now? <laughs> it's going
4: from when little girls feel like boys have cooties.
0: Have what? Have cooties. 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 Bugs. Oh. Boys are made of Dad. bugs. Dad.
4: Boys
2: don't have
0: cooties. <laughs> boys are made of well, bugs. I you did when
4: we were 11. I know, but we didn't. Well, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you did. 11-year-old boys. Well, 11,
0: well, 11-year-old boys are cooties, yeah. <laughs> I think we're like...
4: You know, in, um, in movies and TV, it's, I, from what I've heard, the rule of thumb is that the people want to watch a little bit
0: older than them.
4: So. Oh, yeah. Six-year-olds are watching Hannah Montana, who's 12, and 12-year-olds are watching Oh, yeah, because you're, 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 you're aspiring
0: to that. Right. You're aspiring to that, yeah.
4: Is that true
2: That's true, too, right? Too?
0: They read up, right? They do read up. They can't, they can't. They would read up more than they would
5: read down. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think any 10-year-old wants to read, about a, read something like
2: um, Judy B. Jones. Is it still true there There was a, a, a sort of a, a myth in publishing when I worked in publishing that Boy uh, girls would read boy about boys but boys would never read about That girls. is
1: that is, is that still, still true? true that is yeah. still very true
4: still I my 7-year-old w- daughter is so mad that the main character in witches by Roald Dahl is a boy is a boy yeah and I have to go I have to edit as I read it to her I have to edit every time it says he I have to say she yeah. or she will just like let not let me read it That's anymore. illegal uh, for you <laughs>
6: Yeah. I believed that rule totally mm-hmm. until I book-talked to Nora Pierce's first book, Alana, and I booked up, talked it to a fifth grade, and I said that I expected that they, I was saying to the boys, I, you know, this is a book that I think the girls in the class are going to like better than you. No. <laughs> that is that is the exception that yeah.
1: Yeah, the song of the, Lion- the Lioness Quartet, which is fantastic. What do you mean you book-talked it? What is that? Um,
6: That's when you give a short synopsis of the book. Um, you know.
2: Yeah, you're not reading it. You're you you telling the story. It, you're
6: saying a little bit of the plot, a little bit of the flavor, but you don't give too much away because you're enticing them to come and look at it. Right. Cool. And these boys had actually walked up to me and, and uh, were kind of smart because they go, every time they ask me for a book, I'd say, well, what was to them about it. And the plot is a girl and a boy, brother and sister. The sister wants to be a knight. The brother wants to be a warlock, a wizard. And their parents are typecasting them. She has to go to magic school. He has to go to knight school. And yeah.
1: yeah, it's really nice. Yeah.
6: And the, the boys I've got a reason.
1: <coughs> but I, I do know that that's still holding true. Um, the other YA series that we've been kicking around that we're not even making an attempt to sell right now uh is sort of hannah montana meets harry potter (laughs) (laughs) i know it 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 makes more sense than it sounds but i i i am scary i am frightening Um, but the the premise is essentially that a high school drama geek goes to bed the night before the start of her freshman year and wakes up on the first day of junior year with no memory of the prior two years um, I like it. Everything's messed up, <laughs> and in the interim has been cast as the lead in her world, essentially, version of the Harry Potter movies, which is the Babylon Archer series, which is the best-selling YA series in the whole world, and she's playing Babylon Archer, and apparently also she turned evil. Um, so now she's trying not to get her memory back and every time I go can we sell these I really love them and I really want to finish the series my agent goes no and I say why not because they're completely unbelievable I'm like it's Hannah Montana meets Harry Potter how is this unbelievable it's an elevator pitch damn it because you would never be able to make a case right now for the best selling YA series in the world to be about a girl Welcome so to it. I need to. I need to be. A better Welcome better, to our world. Yeah, I need to be a better established author before anyone will take a risk on a series where the premise is best selling. Yeah, you know, we're, we're not. World. We're not
0: living in a post feminist post feminist publishing world oh, either.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: so you think uh, so you want to be a wizard didn't
2: so it's so you're saying it fundamentally true still well,
5: it's, mm-hmm. it's generally um, I, I know the I, I think it's funny she's quoting the Lana series because I have to wonder how much those boys are going to hang in when Alana gets her first menstrual cycle and says oh shit now I have to deal with this and she, <laughs> she doesn't elaborate on it it's just sort of that's one thing that Tamara Pearson is so radical about because this is something that was happening to her audience and she included it it's not a focus in her books it's just sort of oh this thing happened and now I have to deal with this and some of the the historical things of dealing with something like
2: that when you're living in medieval times and Well now this is, oh I'm sorry. I
5: have to wonder if those boys are going to go ew gross what's happening and and toss it. I mean I'd be really interested to know if they stuck through the whole series.
1: And I, I do have to wonder how much of it is visual in addition. So I was watching a girl on the train today reading from her little Kindle device and oh. in England, they have a tendency to put out books with two covers. As YA books that they think will have an adult crossover, they do two covers. They do the kid cover, the brightly colored, you know, look at this, ooh, it's a fantasy novel cover. And then they do the darker, solemn cover with, like, one iconic image. It looks like a Laurel K. Hamilton book. They kind of horrify me. Because people are embarrassed to be seen reading on the tube if what they're reading is a kid book. Um, when I was printing my possible readings today, my housemate said, I'm very sorry, your story has come out on pink paper, and thought I wouldn't be willing to take it out because it looked like a girly reading.
2: <laughs> I thought so myself. Yeah, yeah. see? Um,
1: and a All lot of I the, see is dodgy light. I mean, and, and a I lot of the time when they put out books that are aimed at girls, they have the very girly covers. They have pink or they have the, you know, um, Lily St. Crow's Strange Angels book. They're fantastic books. They're dark. They're gritty. They're bloody. Every cover is Drusilla going. <laughs> well,
0: I, I had I had one I had one that that was, you know, it available in the checkout line at Safeways all over the country many, many years ago, um that had a thirty thousand dollar Michael Depino cover on it. And, uh, this, where you co- <laughs> and my husband and I nicknamed the cover Pink Sonia. Yep. It was basically this was taken from the cycles of Ushin. It was a retelling of the Connell and <laughs> Maeve myth. It was very dark, it was very, very gritty, it had a seriously supernatural element to it and they gave it a romance cover not only a romance cover but a fucking pink romance cover she's wearing pink armor and he's licking her back and they were and they were ungodly pleased with this cover and the frightening thing is that they paid the artist more for the cover than they paid me
1: but i i think that 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 impacts it a lot they gender the books with the girly protagonists and if i were a 13 year old boy i would not be caught dead yeah reading most editions of The Last Unicorn, which is, frankly, an almost genderless book.
0: It is a completely genderless book. You know, it's a fantastic
1: you know? book. Your, your real agency is in Schmendrick, who's a guy. You can really make an argument for it being a book about the men with the unicorn as the transformative influence. It's not a girly book at all, but every frickin' edition of it is pink and happy and pink. And if I hand that to a 13-year-old boy, he's going to read it back it. to me at high velocity.
0: He's not going <laughs> to read it.
1: Girls
2: like unicorns, boys like dinosaurs. So okay, on what planet? I, have a My Little I wanted to be. I want. I, I
0: wanted to be a paleontologist when I was a kid. My daughter wanted to be a paleontologist for six gruesome months mm-hmm. before she discovered what she really was. But does yeah.
2: this does this carry on to adult? I, I, this is fascinating. Yeah, thank um, like, 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 like a <laughs> Well, it's one of the
4: reasons that Kindle is popular with a lot oh, of yeah. people because they can read like trashy romance novels without anyone seeing the cover. No, I understand that, but I mean, in
2: in terms of of. Gender in adult novels. I mean, if you think. How they cover the real, them, you mean? Uh, the real. Uh, who's the best selling uh, English language novelist? Probably Jane Austen. Stephen right? King. Stephen King, right.
1: And I don't know. I, I, he I, is still the best selling English language adult <laughs> novelist yeah. in the world. That's frightening. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, there's it's there's there's, there's all she does is shht up werewolves for heaven's sake, you know? It's about sex. Of course they like it. She's giving vampires blowjobs on a regular basis. Go
3: ahead. the, the first couple of
5: books which mm-hmm. have no sex in them and I really love them. Yeah, they were good. Right. Razor blades and and yeah, violent kind of gory stuff that you'd expect to see, yeah. like Saw Six. And they've changed this number one, because men were getting shit for reading sex novels on the trains, and number two, because basically everybody was tired of getting caught with these super sexualized images, which basically said, I'm a porno book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whatever which they kind of were, later that's how they sold the books, and now yep. they're. Little does this great series. to Victorian YA.
2: A little louder because
4: and every and every but every single freaking one of those books has a girl in a corset on it. And every time I take one to work it take and so when I take them to work, I take the j- dust jackets off. It's like, mm-hmm. it looks like it's not YA professional to have that on my
1: desk. Right. You know, and on know. the gendering thing, um, so, 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 so this these are the so Toby, Toby books. Back. They are not sexualized. Toby wears clothes on the covers, thank God. You know, she. There is nothing that's about it. these these books that implies that they're going to be sexy is, or soft or feminine. Yes, a she's girl. a girl. Could be a boy. Yes, it could There's, be she's, a boy. She's, she is androgynous. androgynous.
0: Very androgynous. And Largely because and she's
1: wearing a leather jacket and kind of cold, so she's like going, oh, "Screw you, people." Um, I got one of my proofreaders returned a chapter to me, going, "You can't send this out. She's way too bitchy. This is inappropriate. She is being inappropriately nasty." And I said, really? And they said, yes, really. And I'm like, well, this is completely supported by everything else Toby has ever done. There, There is no point in the books where Toby is a frail, fainting yeah, power exactly. of femininity. No, I, I just, I think she's too bad. Okay, I will take your critique under advisement, but first I would like <laughs> you to go back and reread this chapter, substituting the name of any male urban fantasy character you care to for Toby every time it comes up. A
2: proofreader, usually
1: copy.
0: Copy, I <laughs> use, use read, read. work-in-progress readers, whip-readers. Well, yeah, yeah, like, all right. Yeah, okay.
1: this wasn't my copy editor. This yeah, was one of I my know. beta readers.
0: Yeah, whip readers.
1: And they went back and I, they told me later that they had substituted Harry Dresden for Toby Day. And two days later, I get the I'm sorry, that was out of line.
0: They Funny had about that? No
1: problem with the same exact behavior when it was being demonstrated by a male character in that situation. But when it was when it was a male character, they were being strong and thwarted. When it was a female character, she was being a bitch.
0: Gee, sounds like the last election, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> well, it's it I just came back I just came back
0: from Wisconsin, uh, which
2: was the the feminist science fiction convention. And it's it's very interesting because they they deal with a lot of these issues, but the current issue is more what they call the whitewashing of covers where you have a uh, like Octavia Butler's first books had white women mm-hmm. on the cover and this kind of thing. Mm. but i I never thought of the uh, of the issue in terms of actually gender so much, you know where how is, uh, I don't know, in genre, you know, ha- how much how much gender uh, gender is is uh, uh, sort of signaled in genre and also age and also, I mean, race we all know about, but uh, age and, and gender, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Um, funny anecdote from Barnes and Noble again, working there. The what? So Barnes, I used to work at Barnes & Noble for all of six weeks. Never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Mm-hmm. with sort of a tan on the yeah. and, forth, and it would go through not once did I ever ever see anyone of African American descent period but all the uh, sheiks, prashas princes um, of Mex- I mean it was like it didn't matter who it was if it was someone who was usually would have darker skin they gave a white tan <coughs>
0: There's a movie right Madeline? now with Hang the on. Prince of Persia. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal. He's Madeline? She's got a hand <laughs> up. Hang on. Just, um, I have a book that
4: came out about 10 years ago, and there is a woman who is old. She's black. She's a homeless woman. And through the agency of what happens in the story, she becomes a winged woman. And there is, and uh, my protagonist, who is white, keeps calling her an angel. I get the cover. And apparently my editor had gone back and forth with the artist on this. What I got was not an elderly black woman missing several fingers who has her bat wings. <laughs> I've got a Judeo Christian angel
3: mm.
4: on the cover. And my editor was you know, four times I've said it back and said, No, it's female and it's black. No, really, black. No, really, not with the blonde curls. No, really. <laughs> L- lose the,
0: the corn fed extra majorette from Omaha. That's not what we're talking about here, no, people.
4: Uh, uh, Said, oh we can sell anything with, a cu- with an angel on it <laughs> well. it's like okay fine sell something
0: with an angel on the cover this, this is what happens when you let your, your marketing and sales department tell editorial what to buy bad idea
4: well, well. It's, I mean, it's, on the other hand the book sold yeah.
0: so you know well, I think it probably would have sold with the other cover as well if they had marketed it properly it's just I think it's laziness well
2: I don't know. I mean, uh, that's been around for years. They, but no. um, you know, I can I there's not a big market for old homeless angels. You know. <laughs> you know? Uh,
0: how do you know? <laughs> how, how do you know? I mean, you, you don't. The, the problem it's is, is this, it's, it's, this is well, yeah. Lose the guess, Terry, because <laughs> honestly, it's you're self perpetuating the problem on that one. Right. That snake, that snake will continue to, to devour its tail, and we will stay, you know, stuck in this loop of, of, you know, mess ups. Yeah, I wouldn't pick up a book with an angel on the cover, but if you gave me, if you know, I Brewster McCloud was one of my favorite movies back when it came out, and if I had seen the cover that you wanted, I would have grabbed the damn book and gone, <laughs> whoa, okay, this is new, this is different.
4: Well, I mean, there are certain things that marketing people, even when I was working in publishing, everybody believed that a green cover would not sell. Green right. covers equals death. They'll Where mean, this <laughs> from, My choice. In the 1950s, when they started doing paperbacks, the the way that printing process worked, green usually looked like shit brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah, people were like, ooh,
0: don't want to buy that. Ooh, it's, it's a, a, a book, book about mud. Awesome. Yeah. Uh,
4: and so, but by the 1980s, 1990s, <laughs> green looked just fine. Oh, yeah. But people were still playing these tapes. Right. <laughs> well, well, I, like
2: I remember working at Berkeley, uh, which was in the 80s, uh, in the 70s, and the. It was a paperback house. The publisher was Jewish. Most of the sales force was Jewish. We were doing a book about Delancey Street. And I remember them saying in the, in the publisher's meeting, get her, put them off the cover. She looks too Jewish. <laughs> you, know? well, yeah. it, it's, you did it uh, back it's in, in the day, a, yeah. Yeah. it's a no.
1: All it really takes is one crash. I mean, right yeah. now there's a huge resistance to lasting relationships in fiction that carry from one book to another because of moonlighting. Moonlighting, you know, they got them together. The sexual tension went out of the relationship. The show tanked. This was not actually why the show tanked. The show tanked because two thirds of the writing staff quit, and it all started to suck and got canceled. Well, careful. also they they it's had specific. to they had to
0: write an entire entire plot line around Civil uh, Shepherd's twins because right. she was deeply pregnant.
1: But now what you get is that television, which is how a lot of writers. For good or for worse, a lot of writers learn their plotting from television these days, and that's a whole other argument. It tells them that the, a the relationship can't stay interesting once the couple hooks up. So as soon as people get together, they start looking for ways to break them up. Nick and Nora are dead archetypes in the modern generation of books.
0: Which is really frightening, because mine's all about a relationship that's been going on for 30 you know, years. You with it, people. scream and rail against this. Yeah, all right. like, it's ridiculous.
1: I am not getting into that arms race. Kill
0: me now.
1: <laughs> I don't even think I have that many male characters. God, Toby me to have to be stuffing Quentin.
0: Jesus. Oh! Yeah, because yeah, cause, cause, cause you know, because you know, because you know, grown-ups doing grown-up things, <coughs> which include taking responsibility for the promises you make at the altar and being in a relationship for a long time. Yeah, that's so freaking un-American. Dear publishing, bite me. You'd, what? You know? No, she's got to have at least 20 lovers. Oh, yeah, why? Do they all have to be werewolves, too? It's like, you know... It's <laughs> it's it's- they were not even having sex. I mean, it was, it was not even, like, to a
5: dating point. It's like, well, this guy is kind of forced to live with me because the pack leader wants him to keep an eye on me, so he's sleeping on the couch in the living room. The other guy is her neighbor across the backyard, so she ends up seeing him regularly. He's the local pack leader of the area. So she's not dating either one of them, but they're both trying to court her and get into this back and forth I don't know who I want she just kind of you know gave it a token <laughs> I I, that, I felt like the back story of the of
0: the one that came to live on her couch was kind of shoved of in there at the last minute yeah because you know women are all indecisive and, and don't know what to do and, and can't make decisions and stick pick something and stick to it more than that I had a friend oh, God. that
4: came from a very wealthy family when I was a kid and she had 12 Barbies and Jesus. <laughs>
1: Up the I had six Raised Barbies and one Ken, and three of the Barbies were married to Ken, and the other three were in a happy stable lesbian triad with Megan from the My Little Pony set. I nice. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: nice.
1: Megan was only sleeping with the Barbies because Firefly was unable to physically satisfy that's her needs. That's the
4: I found their body
1: in the closet with no hair and no breasts because they didn't have a can. My Little Pony messed me up forever. But, you know, as a quick rewind to the cover thing, I think iconography is important even when it's inaccurate to a degree. Um, I'm with Daw. I love Daw. I love Daw very much. And for a long time, all their books were yellow, even if it made no sense. And that was so you could know you were getting a Daw book when you saw that yellow spine. I know a lot of people that are still pissed off that Daw is not all yellow anymore because the yellow was a quality marker. It's like it a, it's like it's like a, you're it's you're like a pair
0: it's like a pair of Christian Louboutin shoes. Yeah. Red um, soles, baby.
1: If I had been asked to design the cover for Rosemary and Rue, it probably wouldn't have had a person on it. It would have been a mystery novel cover and it would have been totally inaccurate. It would have sold to the wrong people. You need to have a female on the cover because it's an urban fantasy with a female protagonist and that's the genre convention right now. Um, in Germany, my covers are totally different. They're gorgeous, mm-hmm. yeah. they're beautiful, but they would sell as high fantasy in the U.S., and that would again be wrong. It to would the wrong create, crowd. It would create a Vegemite problem with my readers, and I don't want to have a Vegemite problem.
2: Well, it's like it's like Mark said. I mean, people, you create uh, you create the the future, but you create it out of the materials you're given. So I think I think I worked in publishing. I, that's what I did was covers. And covers are, uh, you know, publishers, in a sense, create this these myths, but also they're, they're driven by them. You know, they don't totally create, you know. Oh, so, this, this so there's an your, interaction yeah. that, that I, goes on. I there's a feedback. I
1: think taking a risk on an author's book is really something you want to do when you know this is an author you want to keep. Or when it's right. a first-timer where you really aren't sure, so you're just like, I'm going to put... An angry boa constrictor tap dancing with right. a clown and eating its own tail on this book. Because then if it sells well, you haven't lost anything. Right. But if it tanks, you haven't lost anything. Well, it
0: yeah. says you're, you seem to be talking about back in the good old days when publishers actually bought authors or nurtured right. authors. which These they days, don't These do days they anymore. don't. They, want product. Yeah, right now, it, large, they want product. By and large, they want product, Derek. It depends dear. Yeah, huh? very, yeah. it, depend, it depends on the house. It depends, uh, on, the it house. depends on the house. It Dawson, depends on the market. Did? But I tell you what. This is this is I was alive and adult and raising a child in 1983 when we first saw the likes of Kitty Kelly, and her biographies, and her little her, her little tell-all bios. In fact, I killed off a clone of her in the first Kincaid. It just felt really good. <laughs> Beware, you'll end up in my novel um I was and i got to tell you in 1983 nobody five. nobody i hear this i hear this from friends of mine in publishing i hear this from writers they're going no 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 publishing is just giving people what they want and i'm going okay sorry i call bullshit I was awake and alive and adult and aware and raising my kid was, was four in 1983. And I tell you what, there were nobody marching, there were no crowds out in front of Doubleday in New York City going, sleaze, sleaze, give us sleaze. Didn't happen, okay? Publishing created a lot of its own issues when they got bought by enormous corporations that know nothing about publishing and demanded huge profit margins. They panicked, they wanted to keep their jobs, and it became, how do we sell a lot of books fast and meet these unrealistic expectations from people like Bertelsmann Group? Okay We're hashing Well we appeal to the lowest Common denominator And we sell sleaze And cult of celebrity Okay If that's what sells That's fine But for heaven's sake Don't claim That you didn't create the issue Because you did As a publisher And where's the mandate
1: No one creates an (laughs) issue By themselves No no It's due to tango And if the sleeves didn't sell, they'd create a different issue. I mean, yeah, but when
0: you take good stuff out, stop publishing it for the sole purpose of publishing sleeves because the only bottom line is the bottom line. I think you're on a different page.
1: Mainstream publishing is not perfect, but it's not the devil. It's like people say Disney destroyed fairy tales. No, it's not the the devil. I
0: do think it's on the way out if it doesn't adjust itself.
1: You again.
5: reasons.
0: A third it's the early books were kick-ass. They were solid. Oh, it does. I'm just saying that if you're going to call if you're going to say, well, we're only giving the people what we want, you might want to offer them some variety. I'm not opposed to sleazy books. I like a good sleazy novel as, as much as anybody else. Um, I'm not even talking about the novels. I'm talking about the fact that they were told basically, well, we want a 20% profit margin. Well, publishing doesn't work that way. I like even, even you, know, you know. They just well. they just you like bunnies?
1: I like bunnies. They like oh, bunnies, hop, too. And they don't talk about porn.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: they make porn, but they don't talk about porn. About porn. Thank you. Now
0: you're talking. I, I mean, I, I have no problem. I have no problem with good sex in books. I have no problem with bad sex in books. I do think that if you're going to, on one hand, if you walk into a, you walk into a Borders or a Barnes and Noble right now, walk over to the tweener section or have a look at the What's Sold Today in, in Young Adult Publishers Marketplace. Honk. Put the bunnies away, Seanan. <laughs> Put the bunnies away or I will come over there and strip all the fur off them and there will be blood. Seanan has <laughs> friends. Right. So we does Deb. F- Deb has a crossbow.
2: I thought we yeah. were supposed to be talking about soft drinks, so I don't know how we got into this. Actually, <laughs> how
0: did we get on to that? <laughs> really oh, because it's sure. his fault. He asked. He asked. Well, we should fault. probably. Uh,
2: people got a couple more comments. Uh, actual writing
1: questions porn, writing, yeah something about written, drink. soft drinks
4: <laughs> yeah are you going to be doing any more
1: your barkeep yes i'm i'm almost certainly planning to because she's enormously fun and enormously pissed off that she's here and i appreciate <laughs> characters that are enormously pissed off to be wherever it is that they are
2: what's her will gin? Hmm? what's her will jen
1: I, I don't know what will gin is. Well,
2: gin. What's the gin you get gin, in, a, well, uh, well, in a martini if you don't ask for? Um, you know that would be in either. my notes at home. Okay. All right. Tim. Tim. Well, Nick. You
0: Like Spider Robinson's. Is it a
2: subgenre, you see? <laughs> Yeah, it may well be. Kind of, yeah. I
1: mean, this story was written for an anthology called Tales from the Urbar, which is meant to to capitalize <laughs> on go. the bar subgenre. There you and go. It's 20 stories about bars. It's, it's all bars all the time. I have no idea what the hell else is in this anthology because I haven't seen it yet.
2: So it is, in fact, a subgenre. It is,
1: no in fact, I mean. a subgenre. I think anything is a subgenre, though. Science fiction with squirrels in it is a subgenre. It is. Yeah. It is.
2: No, but bars are. Bars, bars are, are they good. have a little more.
1: They're, they're so traditional. I mean, you there's a the bar in Star Wars. Game.
0: Well, you know, demon bars. Demon bars bars you know.
1: bars don't drink the water you know, every indie yeah. game starts in a town yeah yeah uh, now what are your guys thoughts on
2: um distributing your work through the internet and not going through traditional publishing what's the internet
1: <laughs> so uh, you know those squirrels <laughs> <laughs> i,
0: th- I th- um see the the guy with the ponytail over there right in front of you is uh is talk to him
1: <laughs> um, I'm involved with a collective called the Bookview Cafe. And we do all... Uh, Laura you know, Ann's thing. It's all online fiction. A lot of it's free. There are things that you can buy for a small fee. And that's entirely outside traditional publishing. Yep. Um, I also have an ongoing series on an online webzine called The Edge of Propinquity uh, called Sparrow Hill Road, which is sort of a, a lasting urban urban fantasy thing. I think it's a really great market. It's a really <laughs> wonderful what place to explore Um, right now it's kind of suffering from what fan fiction suffered through for a while, about 10 years ago, where you lost the editorial. Like many writers in my generation, I came up through the fanfic minds. I was lucky. I had the very tail end of paper fanzines. So I got edited mercilessly because someone was paying for the paper. No one's paying for the paper online. So you get a lot more sloppy, a lot more sloppy writing. You get a lot more, I can shove 15 adjectives in here because no one has to edit me. And I think that's going to self-correct. The one thing a lot of us, I think, don't really think about when the internet and publishing comes up, uh, I work for a nonprofit called TechSoup. We're dedicated to closing the digital divide. And people on our side of the digital divide, the have side of the digital divide, forget that most people are still on the have not side of the digital divide. For every person that has a computer and access to the internet, there are still four people that don't. And that's a generous estimate. Wow. Yeah. So the idea of you know people keep saying ebooks are the future, ebooks are going to replace. You should just yeah. stop dealing with mainstream publishing and go purely to ebooks and people can have print on demand. That's saying that everyone who can't afford a computer or isn't in a position to have a computer can't have that. I was a welfare kid here in California. Um, even if my library had had something like an ebook loaner program, which some libraries have, I wouldn't have dared to take it home. It would have been stolen. And so if all of my favorite authors had said, screw the man, I'm gonna move to an e-publishing only model because it's a little better for me or it's, it's whatever, you know, because there are places where it's a lot better for you, but if they had just done that en masse, I would have lost access to all literature published after I was born. And that would have destroyed me. So because of that, and because I come from that background and I work with these people, I always have to look at the question of e-publishing and say, it's great, it's <coughs> wonderful, we cannot make this a priority over the Dead Tree Edition. No, no, it's an adjunct. We make getting everyone online a priority because that's that's where we become the Morlocks and the, and the Eoli. That's where we say, you know what? I'm really sorry that your parents couldn't afford to have white-collar jobs and buy you a computer of your own, um, but because they didn't, you don't count anymore. No books for you.
0: Um, here's a—and and from the, uh, what she said, and I'll add to that on something— do you remember the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode? Uh, he and, and Jenny Callender, who was the techno-pagan, and That's Jenny says to, says, says to Giles, she goes, what, what is it with you? Why, what do you have against computers? And he thinks for a second, and he says, it's the smell. She said, computers don't smell. And he said, exactly.
1: Knowledge should be smelly. <laughs>
0: Books, you know, you can't replace that. You just can't. You can, I, you can hold as many goddamn Kindles as you want. They're plastic boxes, that's a book
4: besides it doesn't feel right on your chest
0: when you yeah. sleep at night yeah i'm 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 I'm, 50, I'm i'm about to be 56 years old okay and that's a book and there is something deeply satisfying in a beautifully produced book yeah. um and yes um i'm a big i'm a big fan of of you know having making things i, I have it as an adjunct um when London calling comes out one of the things I'm going to be doing is offering a free Kindle edition of a short story called Restless, which is actually the first thing and the only thing in the entire series, which is now seven books, that's told by somebody other than J.P., and it's told by the detective Patrick Ormond, and it explains <coughs> why he is the incident that made him the way he is, but it's got a huge honking spoiler for London's, London Calling in it, and I did not put it out until you know, this book is out, but it's going to be a freebie on Kindle. Um, at some point, I will probably also make it available just as a freebie as a download on my website, and that'll be the electronic thing. But the book is the book, you know, and I want to be able to pick it up and hold it and squint at it and toss it in my backpack and take it out and not worry about the damn batteries running down, okay? Mm-hmm. I have my iPod for music, and that's great. That's a book.
1: Yeah, and on the book is the book thing. Um, one thing I do find with the ebooks is unless you I have a friend. I will not admit who they are, who believes in ebook piracy of things she has already bought in physical copy. Whether that's ethical or not is a totally different debate, and it takes longer than we have tonight, yeah, so let's really. not. But if she's paid for it once, she will download it if she finds a torrent. And sometimes this means that she winds up with, with packages. She wants one book, but it's only available in a torrent of 20 books, so she downloads them all. And then she'll read the first chapter of these books and delete them all or go out and buy them depending on whether she's interested. Most people are not that ethical, and most people are not downloading 20 books at a time. Um, and so you lose the thrill of discovery if we go to pure eBooks. One of my favorite, favorite books in the world is this book by Janet Kagan called Hellspark. It's fantastic, it's unobtainium. I desperately wish there were an eBook edition so that I could tell people to download it. I think if I couldn't shove it into their hands, a lot of them would never read it. Because I say it's sociological science fiction about giant electric birds. And they look at me funny, and then they start to back slowly away. Yeah. But it's an amazing book. It changes the way you think about science fiction and the interaction of human populations from separated worlds. And when there's not a version that I can hand you and say, no, really, just just look at this, it gets harder. People take things less seriously sometimes when their word's on a screen. Um, I know I can't really read ebooks because I try to edit them. <laughs> I read my own books online So damn many times That if you send me a book And you're like read this You'll love it I'll be like oh that is so misplaced I gotta take that out And, and then you turn around And you're like, Shannon. what are you doing I'm rewriting Jane Eyre <laughs> It's better now
0: No it's not <laughs> Jane Eyre is wonderful as is
2: Alright can I get in the last word yeah. yeah This um You guys are great Thank you This is, this is well said and uh this is why we do this little show, and um thank you for coming we a lot of times we just piss them on about literature tonight. we talked about soft drinks yeah and uh, can,
0: can can we do thank a, you all for coming can, 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 <laughs> can we uh can we do a plug for for upcoming events of our own? Oh yeah sure yeah just um this this one's a biggie for me because um next Sunday we' got an event at the borders down in the wilds of Milpitas at McCarthy Ranch. Um, and it's it's a biggie for me because it's going to, even though it's for Darkstile, it's actually going to be essentially where we, I want butts in the seats because it's going to be hopefully the launch for, for, uh, for Plus One Press. And they've actually got a CRM, which most of the, the Barnes and Nobles and the Borders don't have anymore. They fired all their CRMs. They've still got a wonderful woman.
5: Huh? Uh, Community Customer re- Relations, customer customer
0: relations manager. manager. These were the people who were responsible for buying for the local store, and now it's all done through the main ordering thingy and whatnot, and they don't know what sells locally, so they have no clue. Um, but they've still got a wonderful CRM by the name of Naomi, and um, she's really suggestible. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> and, you can, so, and and not only that, but check this. Uh, she, the, what are they saying, like once a month? They have they have a, a, a dedicated space for it with a PA, and they actually will have like live concerts if you're writing music books and whatnot. So, yeah, I want to get some bodies in the seats so that we can convince them so that we can do future signings for all of our books for Plus One because she's also in touch with all the local um, versions of Borders, yeah. and that's a really big damn market. So there you are with the whole meat space versus Internet thing. Meat space is good. Meat space is our friend. We want books on shelves and on the front table in stores. Yeah.
1: Okay, I have nothing else in June, thank God. <laughs> um, the weekend of July 4th, I am in Pasadena at Westercon. I'm their music guest of honor. Uh, the weekend of July 10th, I'm in Seattle at Third Place Books as part of the Murder and Mayhem Tour. Oh, I'm nice. um, Murder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weekend of July 17th, I'm at Borderlands Books. Um, yay, Borderlands! Yay, Borderlands! Yeah, <clears throat> Jude! For the second Ooh. stop on the Murder and Mayhem Tour. And you should totally come because it's local to you. And Jennifer Brozek is going to be there. She's releasing her new short story collection in A Gilded Light. Hella fun at Borderlands. We have hella fun at Borderlands, it's true. And it says they've got cupcakes.
0: great cats. And the odds
1: are very good that there will be cupcakes because I'm coming. And somehow that just happens when I'm around. Um, the weekend after that, I'll be in San Diego at the San Diego International Comic Convention where I'm appearing as both and McGuire and Mira Grant. And that's going to be fun. Uh, Because my publishers are, like, right across from each other in the book ghetto, and it's totally the Sharks versus the Jets, and they're making me wear a wig, because if I'm going to be Hannah Montana, I am going to be Hannah fucking Montana. And so you can watch me do costume changes while running down the hallways at top speed. It'll be awesomely great I'd pay
0: folding money to see that.
1: And uh, then the weekend after that, I'll be at Spokane in Spokane, Washington, where I am their music guest of honor, along with Tanya Huff, a fellow DAW author, who is going to be their author guest of honor. And it's Tanya and I's first convention together, where we're both on the slate, and we'll both be exhausted because. We'll both have just come off of San Diego, so we'll be totally suggestible. Uh. Best fun ever! And then after that, I'm going to Australia. Okay, Mom, nominated and winning are not the same thing.
2: (laughs) Is that why they do it at at Worldcon? They do it at
1: Worldcon. And if you win, you get a tiara. And if I get a tiara in Australia, it'll be like being crowned the princess of the kingdom of poison and flame. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, okay, I realize that winning a Campbell is is a whole different thing and, and it's not a life goal or anything, but being crowned the princess of the land of poison and flame is actually a life goal of mine. And I'll just stand you'll there rock and it. vibrate.
0: You, no, no, you'll, you'll rock it. Don't worry about it. It's in the back.
1: Plus, they have snakes. Oh, yeah. This is the ASL for snake.
2: All right. Meanwhile, both these guys are signing books. So let's go Yay. get some books. Yay.
1: Thanks a lot, guys. Thank, that was cool.
0: Thank everybody for coming. That was super cool. <laughs> thank you for coming. Cool. That was super cool. <laughs>